Hi, and welcome to the show, your ultimate playlist podcast full of choice tracks. I'm Brandon. And I'm Damon. <laughs> and I'm Dietrich. And I'm Taj. And that is Taj <laughs> conducting his name. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, welcome back. If you've listened to us before, and if you're brand new, uh, thank you for joining us. So a little bit, a little recap what we do here. Uh, this is a... Uh, a music podcast. We pick our favorite tracks based on themes. Side A is where we have a theme. We pick our favorite song based on that theme. And then side B is an album that's been selected by one of the hosts. And then we have a conversation about that album and pick our favorite tracks from that album. So let's go ahead and drop that needle on side A. All right. So I am a big fan of classical music and it's taken a long time to finally get here. And now we're going to do a theme. Uh, Our theme is about classical music. We have all selected our favorite song uh, that is considered classical music by like a classical composer. Um, There was a time like uh, a lot of music that I like where I did go down a rabbit hole. Um, Definitely in my like mid to late 20s, I wanted to know as much as I could about classical music. And I actually read some books, bought a lot of CDs, and um, I don't feel like I'm any closer to understanding it all. Um, and certainly some of that knowledge has faded through time, but I still am a big fan of classical music. I listen to uh, that station on Sirius XM all the time. Um, not they don't they don't sponsor this podcast, but I still wanted to mention it. And uh, yeah. And so there are definitely some favorite composers of mine from uh, that time where I was doing my research. And I still discover some from time to time. Um, but there are certain ones that I return to a lot. And so the one that I selected for this album is actually a uh, piece of music that was uh, composed by Gustav Mahler. Uh, he was born in Austria. And uh, he lived from 1860 to 1911. And the song I picked, the track I picked, is actually from his Symphony Number no. 5. It's from the fourth move- movement, and it's called Arreggiato. And if I said that wrong, I apologize. But uh, I did my best. So anyway, um, yeah. So, you know, like like I just mentioned, he was born in Austria. Um, he is considered an Austro-Bohemian romantic. He helped kind of bridge the, the gap between traditional music and modern music. Um, he actually was a composer that became more popular later on after his death. His music was actually um, prohibited during... The, uh, the, the Nazi regime. And it wasn't until 1945 where his compo- compositions were rediscovered. Um, he influenced a lot of, uh, modern composers, uh, like Leonard Bernstein was, uh, was, uh, was inspired by him. This piece of music was composed, uh, between 1901 and 1902. And, uh, this is probably considered his most famous composition. A lot of people say it may be a love song to his wife, Alma. Um, and this song was actually conducted during Robert Kennedy's funeral, uh, mass in 1968 as well. So just, I, just my little personal connection to it. 
I had never heard of Gustav Mahler um, until I was in college and I was in a class and we watched a movie called Death in Venice from 1971. And all the music in that movie was from Gustav Mahler. And it really focused focused on this specific track. And I fell in love with this music right away. Um, I even used it for one of my short films in college as well. Um, that's how much I liked it. Or maybe I just borrowed and uh, stilled from the movie. But uh, it's just it's just I think it's such a lovely piece. Um, it's it's. It's it's kind of, it's a little slow. It's slowish. Um, I think I learned that that's what adagiato kind of means. Um, it's it's a little bit s- slower tempo, but I just find this very very um, mesmerizing to listen to. I I love the the instruments. I just I think it's a fantastic piece of music, and um, it's one that stayed with me since I saw it back in college and made me seek out um, more symphonies by Gustav Mahler. And uh, I think partly, you know, one of the, one of the things that might have inspired me to want to learn more about classical music was listening to him, and uh, specifically this, this piece of music. I'm glad that he was rediscovered later on. Um, you know, he's it's just such a, a fantastic composer and uh, conductor, and um, I just wanted to share it with you guys. And uh, what do you guys think? So it, it, I I liked it uh, a lot. It was it, I'm still not a hundred percent sure, but I think based off of what I previously researched, um, I went down a rabbit hole because it reminded me so much of another piece of music that I had heard. And I think you finally put in the the missing piece because uh, as far as I can tell, Leonard uh, Bernstein did so. My parents, we would watch movies over and over again. One of those movies is The Right Stuff. (laughs) The end of that movie has a feather dance. And that song sounded so much like this one that I could have sworn it was one and the same. Uh, But I think that's where the the connecting piece is. But the the piece itself, like, yeah, it's it's slower, it's softer, but it's a a great piece of classical music that, that I did enjoy. And so, but yeah, I liked it quite a bit. This is, this is like really heavy on the string instrumental part of it, which is kind of what I liked. Uh, and that gives it that soft, slow sound. And of course, you know, in, in uh, Brandon's fashion, go to a soundtrack, which is really awesome. Uh, I can't wait to hear more of your selections in the future, too. But uh, this is always fun. I couldn't do an episode like this every episode. <laughs> uh not easy to figure out what I'm listening to. Not easy to find a track, especially when there's a million opuses and a and a pieces that are you know tied to an orchestra's symphony. And um, I don't even know if I'm saying that right. <laughs> but yeah, no, this is this is really nice. Um, I how do you say his name again? I'd, or the Mahler Gustav 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 Mahler Mahler. And that's G-U-S-T-A-V and then M-A-H-L-E-R. <laughs> if listeners are having a hard time finding it, probably not. I know Dietrich's making faces, so whatever, Dietrich. Uh, uh, <laughs> I may have not made faces on that at all. You know, me and pronunciations don't get along very well. So well, just so, for the fact yeah. that you're attempting it, you know, right. kudos to you. I'm not mad. All right. That's cool. <laughs> but yeah, just finding some of the stuff. Um, definitely can be difficult if you're trying to look up new music, new music in this fashion. Um, it's great when you can uh, associate it with a film like Brandon did. And 
if there's a piece that you've heard when you're growing up, your parents listen to that sort of thing. This is the kind of stuff that like I, I definitely like to get work done to uh, or to chill out. Uh, it's, it's peaceful. That's what I liked about this. A doggy, a, a dagietto. Is that how you say the name of the dagietto? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Adagiato? Adagiato? Yeah, so it's A-E-A-G-I-E-T-T-O. <laughs> if you're trying to look this up, listeners, if you're trying to listen to this stuff, um, or you can just see our playlist. <laughs> sure. But, uh, you know. So anyway, yeah, that's that's my two cents for that. Thanks, Brandon. Yeah. Go ahead, Taj. You had a thought before. I no, it, it, I'll circle back around because it's not about the track directly. So go, go ahead. Oh, you go. It's yeah. one of your Taj questions. Yeah. Right, cool. <laughs> so, um, Brandon, I'll be straight up honest with you. I am not the biggest classical fan. And the only reason I'm not the biggest classical fan in my mind is that so many other individuals will come back and do the original composer's work. And then at some point in time, uh, over time where it gets lost, somebody will think that uh, other person is the one that came up with the music when in actuality they were just playing it and ciphering it back for the world. And so especially back during that time when the records were not as solid as they should have been kept, the music was being stolen left and right. So in my mind, it's like I can't really trust that this is the composer, but I know exactly who you're talking about. And I know he has a lot of work that's out there. And this is one of those great pieces of work that you could feel the music. And that's what I liked about it. I listened to the whole uh the whole chord set that you had in there and literally or fit it was fit, excuse me. You literally can feel the ups and downs from the climaxes and, and the crescendo all the way down and, and and you know the the movement of the music and um the video that I particularly watched on YouTube when I was listening to it um definitely had um played into the feel of it. Like you're looking at open grasslands, you're looking at mountains, you're looking at seas and, and then it will go to the waves crashing whenever the music will pick back up and it was like, damn, it kind of made you feel like that. Like you're actually listening to a movie in motion and you can kind of visualize that with it. So that visual aid kind of helped but I would have had that thought the same way with that. So it, it's definitely one of those that stands its own test time. And I'm, I'm glad that you allowed me to hear it because I hadn't heard it before. So it, it was definitely something that perked my ear, especially in the transitions going back and forth. That actually worked out in, in, in your favor. So I love it a lot. So it was a good pick. Sweet. Nice. So, and I was going to ask, so when you went down the, the rabbit hole of classical music, because, you know, me and Damon are more, more lyric guys, but I, I've heard that people that like really heavily get into classical music, like they can tell like when a different orchestra plays the same piece, like they can t- pick up the distinction between, you know, the Philharmonic playing it versus, you know, somebody, the Royal Symphony in you know, London. I mean, th- that's what I'm saying. Did you pick up that tune? I mean, is that part of your now ear where you can pick up when different versions of orchestras are playing it? Or I, I don't know if I can do that, but I can definitely tell. Some, I mean, sometimes it helps knowing a certain label. When you're buying classical music, you know that you're going to get a better orchestra or a better conductor. Um, and, and I always try to, try to go with those CDs, those albums. Um, but I don't know if I could tell you the main, I, I, I don't think I could do that okay. necessarily, but, but I will say, you know, somebody like Leonard Bernstein, who, 
did write original music, but also conducted, you know, classical composers, you know, you can tell a difference in that conductor, you know, like you can tell a difference in the quality of music compared to, you know, you know, somebody that you've not heard of, like, gotcha. a, you know, orchestra that you've not heard of. Okay. So that makes sense. So I, I mean, and, and I haven't really been, I haven't been really too invested or involved with classical music, but there was definitely a few years. And it also helped that I was working next to a, a Borders and I would get off work and go over to the classical section and like put on the headphones and listen to music and then pick up a few CDs at a time. Okay. So, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, but I mean, every time I, I listen to it, I mean, you know, and I was a guy that, I mean, I love movie scores and this just seemed like, you know, a, a pretty easy transition to discovering classical music. For sure. So, um, but yeah, yeah. But there is definitely a difference between <laughs> film scores and classical music. So, yes. Very yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, yeah, cool. Well, uh, yeah, uh, let's go ahead and move on. And, um, I think I will go with, uh, Taj. Let's go with your choice. Oh, oh you're going with me. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so for me, um, Okay, how to put this? I've gone back and forth with classical music, uh, especially with just the general greats. Uh, you know, uh, you know the the staple ones that the beginners always listen to. Um, the reason why I went with the one I went with is more because of a personal snor- story, and it'll actually kind of match with uh, our album that we're covering later on. Uh, but who I went with uh, was um, Tchaikovsky. I always get that wrong. Um, and so uh, the I did the miniature overture for the Nutcracker. So it's the first part of the whole Nutcracker suite. Um, and it's not, it is distinctive, but it's not as distinctive as the rest of the whole Nutcracker suite. Cause like when the other tracks come on, like you automatically know, you know, this is the, you know, this is the peppermint, this is the, or, you know, you can tell which set it is. Um, what makes Chaikovsky a little bit interesting is like he wrote mostly for ballets. And so like his big ones are Nutcracker suite, Swan Lake, Sleeping Beauty. Like this guy, wrote for the ballet and so it's kind of like (laughs) kind of like soundtrack scoring for nowadays except there was no movies you had the ballet or you had just the orchestra with nothing going on on stage and so this guy very much wrote for dance pieces and the reason why i ended up picking this is um again i'm gonna bring up my estranged sister uh one of the weird things that i have memories of is um we, I would, you know, was normally never invited in her room, but I went in her room and we, through a series of several nights, read Lord of the Rings, just the first book. We never got to the other ones, but we were reading it out loud back and forth. But she would play this album, which was a combination of the Nutcracker and Swan Lake. 
And so this this track always stood out as because it's the first track on the album, but it's also the one track that always sounds the most adventurous. And for some reason, this is the one track that always sounds out to me that that reminds me of, of Lord of the Rings. Like you play this like, ooh, this is Lord of the Rings. Now, I know the movie has its own soundtrack score and that's iconic now as well. But if you play this, like I always think about reading Lord of the Rings. And so that's why I picked this one track. Um, you know, doesn't hurt that it's a popular piece of music, but uh, but that's why why I particularly picked this one track, because if you pull it aside, separate of all the dances, you can kind of see the venturing party and them running into stuff and then running away. And yeah, it, it's just classic fancy adventure movie for me. <laughs> so that's why I, I picked it. Okay. Um, <laughs> So I, I think this was you were getting in touch with your feminine side when you <laughs> play the Nutcracker. Uh, it's, it's, it's a timeless piece of work. Um, I think everybody at some point in time has gone to see the Nutcracker live, whether you were a kid or whether you actually like seeing it as an adult. Um, some way, shape, form, or fashion, somebody was presenting it. Um, for that matter, you can't forget the music. Like it's it's literally embedded in your brain. And like you said before, it's not the one that you first jump to. Whenever you think of the Nutcracker, but it's definitely there uh, within the confines of, of, of the uh, play and the ballet and what you're talking about with it. So um, as far as your pick for it, I was cool with it. Um, I still was trying to figure out why you would pick the Nutcracker of all of them. But you know, <laughs> I had to think back about who we were talking about. So, yeah, it makes sense. that's not a problem. And um, ultimately, you know, it's it's definitely one of those timeless pieces that you can listen to. If you're actually in that mode, you can turn it on in the house, let it blare through the speakers and just kind of get lost in it. Um, it's, it's very up tempo, very uppity uh, as far as the sound goes, very, very pitchy in the right places. You know, it's supposed to be light and fairy light. So, you know, it definitely worked out for what it was doing. So I had no problem. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's a cl- uh, classical piece of music. Um, I think it's one of those kind of, of, uh, songs that you may not even necessarily at first think is classical music. You just think of it maybe as a ballet, you know, um, but it totally is for sure. Um, but I think we associate it with a ballet or with the story of the Nutcracker. Um, mm-hmm. But but it totally, totally fits the bill for sure. Um, it is iconic, very familiar with it. I have seen the Nutcracker Ballet before. I mean, it's been a long time, but I did actually see it uh, when I was in school, elementary school. That's how long ago. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I think it's great. I mean, I, I haven't listened to this in a long time. Definitely when I was listening to classical music, I think there were certain things that I might have avoided because I think I heard it too many times. Um, but it was nice to, to revisit it. You know, I, I like the... I like the energy on, on this track. And, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's famous for a reason. And, uh, you know, like you may not necessarily even know where it's from, but you've heard it. And, uh, yeah, it was good. It's a good choice. Right. Yeah. It, and like I said, this is, this one's the more of the setup piece because this isn't the what track two is the one that like, it is used in every movie possible, you know, if you want like a frantic, frantic scene, you know? So, but yeah. But, yeah. Wasn't it like in Home Alone? Is it Home Alone? Yeah. It's everything. Like yeah. the, the Russian dance one. Yeah. That's like, <laughs> uh, I think it, I don't know. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, this it reminds me of Christmas for sure. This is a this is like probably something that I've heard on like your local, you know, radio station that plays classical music and it's you know, it goes right into like information and you know it's like the NPR of radio, any <laughs> classical station. But it's always it's always nice, you know. It's always like I, I fuck, I gotta I gotta start listening to classical more <laughs> on <laughs> Sirius XM or something. Like, what am I doing? Listening to garbage all the time. No. <laughs> the band garbage, that's what I meant now. Um I I think that we're definitely lyric people. <laughs> At least I, I know I am. I mean you called it there, so like this is there's no lyrics. Damn it. <laughs> what do I do? It's all it's all like very similar, but not. I don't know enough about music in a classical sense or in, in general as far as instruments go to really break apart a piece. Um this is like opus seventy one. Opus meaning work, piece of work, the number of the work. Right. Um, so that's there's like seventy one in this symphony. <laughs> There's well, a little more than 71 pieces or, you know what well, I mean? Is that how that goes? Well, no, I, I don't know. It might be like his seventh, seventh one opus, but it's the Nutcracker Suite, which is mul- seventh mul- one. Okay. Or seven. Was it seventh one or seventh? Cause he wrote like a, like a lot of stuff. 71, but I, okay. See, that's also what I don't understand <laughs> well, as well as I wish I did. Yeah. Uh, well, because like, like your person, like they wrote symphonies or, or, mm-hmm. you know, opuses. So like, yeah. if you do so many, like you just keep counting. Like, so right. I'm sure Swan Lake may right. have like an opus of something else. Yeah. But I mean, so. Yeah, there's like a, that's, uh, and that's an insane amount of music to be writing. So that's impressive for right. one. Maybe shit was just like boring back then. So you got to find something really cool like music to just, you know, engulf yourself into like just your whole day was writing and doing this. And, it, and that's really cool. I wish I had something that was that right. passionate and I could be like genius about <laughs> I mean, these people are geniuses. I don't know what the hell's going on. They're like really smart individuals that make music like this and they can play it and they're really dedicated. I mean, this is like a lifelong thing. Like music is so, it comes in so many forms, but right. I definitely like this because of the fact that it reminds me of the holidays, Christmas, um, or you could turn it around and the nutcracker is just like evil little nutcracker dude coming after you trying to chomp on your nuts. <laughs> I don't know. Turns into a horror movie. Like, uh, I can see that happening. It probably is a horror movie somewhere, right, Brandon? <laughs> the Nutcracker. I mean, this Christmas. Um. So, but, I mean, to, to kind of go back to, like, Dietrich's thing that he brought up, yeah. like, what makes classical hard is, like, all you have is the sheet music, but then you have the different ways you can play a certain note. And so, like, you're trusting that over the millennia, like, they've they're reading the music all the same way, you know? And that's why like some forms of music, like you can't put the blues on sheet music because you can't put on the sheet music, how to bend the note. Like if you play a a blues note and you bend, you can, I think you can write that. Can't you? Can you, do you know anybody? I don't know. I think you can though. I failed that class. (laughs) I just took all music theory. So I can't tell you one way or the other. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Well, for for um, 
so like a like bending a note. I mean, yeah, I think there is something they could do with that. Like, how, there's a way to like write that in. But tablature is another way to you know the tabs are easy easier for some people. Yeah, but, but anyway. yeah, <laughs> they scoff at tabs. No, I'm just joking. Oh yeah, I'm an idiot. <laughs> These people are smart. I just I'm like, oh, music, cool. Right. No, I got you. So I guess I'm done, Brandon. You can take over. <laughs> you can leap me. All out. right. <laughs> All right. Um, well, we're going to go to move on and let's go with Diedrich, your choice. Yeah. So my choice, I kind of took a curveball on this one. Um, really and truly, like I, when you start thinking about the classical um, pieces that are out there, it's, it's, you could go Bach, you could go Beethoven, you can go a whole bunch of stuff, right? Um, kind of want to take it for a little left turn and see exactly how y'all felt about it. Um, there is an individual. Uh, by the name of uh, Charles uh, Ignatius Sancho. And for those who have not heard of him, um, he is a, actually, he's got a very interesting story. Um, his story starts off with him being a slave, um, him being born somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, um, being brought over from Africa into uh, English territory. And so, um, uh, basically brought in by Spanish, Spanish, uh, inquisitors, things of that nature. So he was a abolitionist. Um, is that how you said an abolitionist? Abolitionist? Uh, abolitionist. I was like, what? I'm getting abolished. I'm thinking abolishment, but yes, abolitionist. Um, he was a writer and he turned out to be a composer. So much so that he turned out to be the, um, very first African American to write European classical music. Um, this happened during the uh, Georgian period. For those who don't know, that is aristocrat time frame where you have the, the wigs and the powder faces and everybody did certain line dances and it was a scandal to be caught in the room with a, with a, a person of the opposite sex by yourself if you were a female. And all types of things were going on during that time frame. But um, he actually composed four books uh, of songs. Uh, there was... This one that we're going to get into, it was the Cultians, and then it was separate books of uh, the country dances, uh, which I think he had like 12 of them. But uh, this one in particular was the one that struck my ear, because this one, you could tell it was of that time based on the piano and of the, of the violins and how everything was played. So it was definitely of a, a more upward, or not more upward, but a, a, a more sped up pace of things and what's funny is um this one actually took on that type of pace based off of the name but then it slowed down and then kind of carried over into this own set so i'm going with the minuet uh which is the fourth I don't even know how to say all this stuff, so I'm just going to say it's the fourth symphony, and I think it was uh, minor. If I have to go back and look at it, I probably will. But, right. Um, so, yeah, that was the, the piece of music that I chose, mainly because um, it's, it's tempo changes a lot, but it's that of a, of a time period that is a little bit nuanced compared to the other ones that were coming out, but it still had a good flow to it um, and something that you could listen to and you may not be able to pick it up by ear sound and say, you know, I know who that, that composer is, but you can definitely say, you know, that person knew what they were doing with the music that they wrote for it. So 
um, yeah, it's crazy because he was a slave. He literally uh, was um, uh, promised to a house in which he grew up in that house. Um, he then left and basically escaped that house, um, wound up going to Greenwich, London. And from there, uh, he found an individual that actually helped him learn how to read, uh, helped him learn all the classical tunes. So he would learn how to play on piano and the violin. And that's where he began his writing credit. Um, he wrote, he has a bunch of letters that he wrote on top of, uh, the compositions that he put together, but he's mostly known for, um, his work in order to try Obala Shafley. And during that time, um, he's actually one of the first individuals to sign a treaty in order to start the abolishment of slavery in England. So, a uh, first African American for sure. So, he definitely has like a, a textured past and I don't want to take up too much time trying to get into it because I would literally have to go back to my notes in order to get in it. But this, this is where we're coming from. And, and I just wanted to see what y'all thought about this style of music, uh, as in comparison to the more traditional thoughts of classical music. So uh, I, I did listen to the, the YouTube video that you sent. Uh, I, I'm not trying to correct, but I, I think it correct. might be correct. Yes, please. I, correct. Th- I think it's his fourth, fifth and sixth, but they were all shorter than Brandon. So I listened to all three of them because right. there's clear cuts on it. And, and Spotify has them as the fourth, fifth and sixth and F. Uh, but yeah, no, it was a great piece of music. It was a piano forte, I believe is what they call mm-hmm. the little tinky piano. Um, but yeah, it was it, it was interesting. It, I, I liked how you picked that, and I was like, it, I knew there was probably a really good story behind it. And so yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things like you don't normally think of house party music as classical, but this is totally like if you're having a party at your house and you can't afford an orchestra because you're not the queen of England, you have a piano forte, and this is what you jam, you know. <laughs> so, but, but yeah, I, I liked it for sure. So yeah. You know, I, I wasn't familiar with, with the composer. And, you know, I, I definitely, after you were talking about him, I was also on my phone looking up some stuff too. And I don't know if I've ever heard the name before, but it was, he was definitely not easy to, to locate, uh, on yeah. Spotify. And I did find that exact, uh, album, uh, that was, that you sent us the, the clip for, uh, on YouTube. Um, and yeah, I think Taj, I think Taj is right because, you know, you could definitely tell that it was like it was going from one from one, you know, composition to another. Um, um, you know, but I, of course, I listened to the whole thing and I listened to it on, on Spotify, too. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, you know, definitely that error when you when I was doing my own, like, you know, research, I, I was listening to music around that time. So I definitely feel like I have an ear to enjoy it. Um, it's not necessarily always like my favorite mm-hmm. t- uh, time of classical music, you know, but but I, I, I really enjoyed it. And I definitely like what I'm I'm reading about about him. Um, I mean, it sounds like, you know, a renaissance man for sure. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious about his, his life and definitely want to, to seek out, you know, some, some knowledge about him, but, uh, but the music itself, I, I did enjoy, um, you know, it's just, it's, it, to me, it was just comfortable. It's relaxing. It's kind of music you can, you know, put on towards the end of the night, you know, maybe having, you know, a cup of tea or something (laughs) like that. Um, but and and that's not that's not me like talking 
less about the music because I think the music is great. It's just it's it's soothing. It's soothing music to me. Yeah, it's consistent. There's definitely uh, not a whole lot of change-ups in comparison to the other tracks that we that we pulled up. Um, yeah, but 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 it's holding its own realm from where it's coming from, and that's that's why I liked it. Like I I used first thought when you said classical, I automatically was gonna go Beethoven. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, no, that's too easy. But then again, too easy is not really easy when you're talking about classical music because there's so many different characteristics to the actual composer. And there's everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a lifestyle. Everybody's got like something that they lived through that was like amazing within its time. So yeah, um, they, they kind of took that that thought process out of my mind. And for this individual here, especially the, the, the country dances, um, there, there were a lot more up-tempo type tunes and, and those, uh, particular zippities. But for this situation, I was like, okay, Minuet is the best, most one that he's known most for when it comes to his compositions. And it's actually the third stance, uh, when you think about a classical setting. And it's the full name of it is Minuet and Trio. But he kept it short for title purposes. So it's me, but it's what he went. So I was like, yeah, that works. Yeah. And, you know, when when I was listening to it and then I, I saw the, the name of the orchestra and then I saw on Spotify and I looked at the cover, I'm like, whoa, what? You know, just like <laughs> a, a black British mu- musician composer in the 1700s. Like, that's not something that, that you see very often. No, you know? it was very unheard of. Right. So I was, I was really happy that you picked it because, you know, it definitely seems like something he, we should know his name more. Right. Even when they were releasing his music, the first piece of music that they released was the Minuet and they put on us the title, um, black composer in order to try to get it to sell more because the individuals were not expecting that uh, of his actual music. So they wanted to get his concerts out as many as possible. I was like, wow. Okay. Is it, is it Ignatius? You said Ignatius Sancho? Yes. Yes. Wow. What a, what an amazing guy. This is his story. I would like to see in a movie, you know, that's more phenomenal than anything I've heard of lately. I, I can't believe he was able to get that far with it. And maybe it's because of where he was, you know, he wasn't in the Americas, right? Right. Maybe he had a different opportunity, but he was still enslaved. And then he broke away from like the tyranny of slavery and was able to be be a composer. And he's writing music like this. I mean, this is, uh, it takes a certain kind of mind, like I was saying earlier, but just to do this kind of thing. I could devote time to something like this and maybe make something out of it, but I, I like listening to it, but to compose it, to write it, to, to bring a story to music and it it doesn't even have lyrics and you can like, you know, that's what like, uh, like the dance and, you know, like theater and it's like, um, without words, you know, like you can see a story, a story without words, the visual arts and, and like, you know, classical, classical goes deep and, a lot of different avenues and there's so many things that are, I guess that I will never have time to, to, to read about and figure out. But for, for this, this uh, gentleman here to be able to make music like this and we're listening to it now, we're talking about him. I mean, that's, you know, he really, he really made a something of his life, made it mean something 
He didn't, he didn't let somebody else take that away from him. And that's, that's what I appreciate the most about this. I, and I, I was really excited when I first saw it as a black composer. I'm like, wow. Okay. This is interesting. Like what the hell <laughs> in the 1700s? I mean, it's just, you know, it's just, it's unique, man. It's, it's, it's so awesome. Uh, props to you for, for finding this. And I, I do like the music. I do like the music. I don't know where the piano, the little tiny piano comes in. Taj, what is that again? A little piano or? I think it's called the piano forte, but I'm not. A piano I forte. Think. Yeah. Okay. I'll have to look that up. That sounds interesting. It's so like that. What I'm hearing is a lot of, yeah, some piano and like uh violin, maybe. Uh-huh. Like, um, violin and cello. I'll, cello. I'll, I'll cello. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very yeah. nice. Uh, yeah, I was just blown away by this. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even really look into the story of him, but, you know, I could just, I could just imagine what that was like, you know. But uh, I appreciate what? that, man. Well, plus I was trying to figure out, were you, were you trying, did you say it was the Regency area era or you said the Whig era, right? Uh, the, the Georgian, Georgian, Georgian. area. Yeah. Okay. It, Georgian like, period. It was this, cause the one, the era I'm thinking of is like Bridgenton, you know, where it's all scandalous stuff. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Cause sometimes that's known as the, the Regency. Scandalous. Yeah. The, the Regency era, but yeah. Yeah. It, but yeah, or, or yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, they, okay. they bleed into each other. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So. Definitely a lot of a lot of uh, yeah. a lot of high class, high powerful individuals <laughs> that had land and money and 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 uh, uh, what do you call that? Uh, galleries where uh, individuals you know left their money to somebody else who were married off that kind of stuff. And it was during that time you know where everybody was wanting to be sophisticated, um, but you know you had a lot of ratchetness going on behind the scenes. Right. So, yeah. it, so I do have I do have one question for you, Dietrich, and it, it, it may be a weird question. So um, I know culturally sometimes there's three three time, which isn't typical for European. Did you? I couldn't tell, but did you hear any three three time in his music? Was he sneaking yeah. in? Okay. That, no, that's no, what it was based on. It was based on three three time because it was made to dance to. Okay, and that's gotcha. what they would actually do their waltzes and their dance to. That's a waltz. Okay. To yeah. these type of songs and this type of mixture. So yes, it was definitely three three time. In there. One yes. two three. You were, One, you two, were correct. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, us us or the uh, Europeans of. The era used to do four four time because they like their one two three four and you know like you if you want it faster you gotta come in with the three three. Yep, definitely. <laughs> and then and then you got people like clapping on the offbeat. You're like, I can't do it because I don't and know what three three time is. That is where non rhythm came from. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like you couldn't make up your mind. You want on the one, the three, the four, or the two, which one you want. And everybody just kind of did what they wanted to do at that point. So it's like, okay, we, we got the organized dances. You're on one side of the room, all on the other. Somehow we're going to wind up together. And then somewhere in the mix, we're going to move out to somebody else and then, you know, run off and get caught in the bushes somewhere and it'll be the scandal of the era. So, right. Gotcha. Yeah. Yes, Bridgerton all the way, bro. Bridgerton all the way. <laughs> so. Oh, good. All right. Well, that leaves us with one more person, and that is Damon. Damon, what was your choice track? Yes, uh, I uh, I picked pretty famous guy. 
Um, I, my, my pick was uh, basically somebody that I, I think I, I, that everybody probably knows, I'm sure. Uh, there's like movies and stuff, and there's uh, lots of music played by this, uh, this person a lot over and over and over again. One of the, I guess one of the greats. I don't know. They're all great, but one of the greats. Uh, Ludwig von Beethoven. <laughs> and um, I didn't know what to pick. Like, there's like a million songs this guy made that it's like, okay, they're all, <laughs> oh, they're all really good. Um, this this is a song that's funny. It was actually uh, so the piece is um, I don't even know what it what is it uh, <laughs> what is it called. Let me look at something real quick because it's there's like a there's a little there's like a lot to it. Um, this is a uh, symphony number no. five, right? <laughs> Opus sixty seven, and this it's so like the whole symphony number no. five is like got a lot to it, I guess. But uh, <laughs> Opus sixty seven, uh, and this is um, in C minor. which I guess I wouldn't know the difference, but that's what it is. And I heard this rap version of the song. It was really interesting. <laughs> like, I think Beethoven's had so many different variations of his music modernized, and it's it's pretty cool to hear, but then you, it's also nice to hear the original pieces, the opus, whatever it is, um, you know, which, whichever symphony you're drawing from, I guess. And uh, to hear that, like, done by an orchestra, you know, that's that's definitely awesome too uh but what, what was it eastbound and down is a show that i watched at uh so danny mcbride dances to this and it's like a rap kind of like a I don't, I don't know if it's like a rap version or it's like a different version of it but it's like it just it was just cool to see it was kind of fun to see like a classical piece done in sort of like a you know like a like a silly way i guess but um yeah so that's that's part of what draw draws me to like beethoven like like his music that style, I guess, could be overplayed. Maybe he's so popular that everybody, I, I think everybody knows the name Beethoven. Um, yeah. So what do you guys think? Well, so yeah, especially with, with this piece in particular. So it, my sister was a huge classical music, but a huge ELO fan. And so this, okay. Ex, this exact opus, uh, is the very beginning of uh, Rollover Beethoven because yeah. they okay. play the first opening stanzas and then the electric guitar comes in. And so, like, yeah, it's, it's, you can't, there's no way to not know it, but yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah. So, right. But yeah, I, I liked, I like listening to the original piece. It's been a while since I've heard it. Um, but, you know, I've heard the whole piece, the whole fifth symphony before. I, I want to say, of Beethoven, I want to say his fifth is probably his most popular. Maybe I don't know. Either his I, I fifth or sixth. I think the fifth but, is like. Even my wife is like, "Oh, which one was it? The fifth? <laughs> right. like, what the fuck are you talking about? I didn't know what the hell the fifth. I know what yeah. fifth is, maybe. Yeah, Well, yeah, this is cool. Uh, but I just, I, I guess I pr- props to her too. Yeah. But, uh, I think he was born in like the 1700s, like seven, what am I seeing here? 1770. I don't know. Showing that he was baptized in 1770. Why do I care when he was baptized? 
I guess he was baptized when he was born, like right out of the womb. Um, they're like, this guy's going to be a genius. And so they just had to, they had to rush that. And then he, uh, what's that? They they go based off of that because that's probably the earliest record. Uh There weren't birth certificates. The church kept the records of when they were baptized, but there wasn't a lot of like birth certificates because you could have been born anywhere. Yeah, like my dude was 1929 in the Atlantic Ocean. But they know he died in 1780s. So like, all right, cool. Right. Yeah. This guy was, he made it to 1827. So, holy shit, dude. He was 56. Wow. That's pretty good. I always get my classical composer confused because Beethoven, the
I'm glad we could connect in the uh, 1700s century. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, <laughs> was it the what century is that? Like the <laughs> 18th century? Oh, the 18th century, yeah. <laughs> uh, so what I was century just like, was. he's the goat. No, nice. Those that 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 did it. He's one of those that many people copied after. He's one of those that. Uh, quintessentially made his name become like iconic within itself. And, you know, there's only so many individuals within the classical realm from a, from a novice point of view that you can point out and say, you know, or recognize them. He's one of those individuals. And so from that point alone, that just lets you know how much, how much weight his name carries and, and how much people have loved his music and love his, his, Oppositions and and love, you know how he put certain asterisks together, and it actually worked. Um, in comparison to other composers that tried to do the same or tried to mimic the style, and they weren't as popular with it as he. And like you said, like all of y'all said, this was yeah, this is the quintessential one that you know uh, when you think of Beethoven. And then I started thinking about Beethoven the dog, and that movie and how it came out. Beethoven. <laughs> I started going to Bill and Ted. I was like. Like, I literally had all this stuff stuck in my head thinking about Beethoven. Oh, like, yeah. you know, he, he is out of everybody, he's the one that rolled into pop culture the easiest, if you think yeah. about it. Like, you can, how many times have you think about Bart, Bach in, in a particular like movie or, or setting or something of that nature? Most part. Yeah, you can think of it a little bit, but when you think of Beethoven, he's there. And yeah. so his, his the legend is definitely yeah. carried on um throughout the years and the shit damn near say you know, throughout the centuries. So um plus he he's one of the ones that it because him and, and Mozart have the, the bust, like the where it's uh-huh. the head bust, like and I can't remember which one Linus has on his piano, but that's one of those that like you can reckon you know, if you see it enough time you eventually recognize, hey, that's Beethoven. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> like Yeah. Right. So we done went from peanuts <laughs> to <laughs> Beethoven the movie, <laughs> to village to Amadeus. Like he's everywhere, man. Yeah. Every, uh, he was probably day. a freak too. I bet you this guy was weird to talk to. Like <laughs> A lot know. of composers are weird to talk to, from what I've heard. Uh, even the modern day composers are, are kind of in their own little world, uh, in comparison to ones who, you know, are actually like just kind of subpar with it. They still are in their own world because they have their own thing going on within that. And they really focus on the music as opposed to focus on social interactions. So, yeah. That's what I learned from watching Black Christmas. Composers are weird and you probably oh, yeah. think they're the killer. <laughs> I, I think it's so <laughs> random, Todd. <laughs> we almost got to connect here. Uh, so <laughs> oh, and I do want to say really quick I double checked and looked it up. Beethoven actually yeah. was the one that went deaf in his 20s. Oh, okay. he went deaf in his 20s, really? Yeah, in his mid 20s. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. So that's crazy. I mean, he must have been doing this about then. That's when he started, or maybe as a teenager. Right. Because cause I remember, yeah. like, one of his last symphonies, and I thought it might have even been this one, but, like, he 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 just couldn't give up the music. So he just put his ear, like, laid it on the piano and yeah. just play. 
the piano with listening to the vibration on his eardrum. He couldn't That's hear shit. That's a badass motherfucker right there. <laughs> right? Yeah, it says he began losing his hearing in his mid-20s when he already started building a reputation, reputation as a musician and composer. So, yeah. yeah, so if you don't think you can do anything, uh, yeah, look yeah. at look at people like everyone we spotlighted. <laughs> Basically, they've all overcome something and kicked ass. So, and we... You Still can know. do it! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For a little uh, Beethoven. Right? All right. Anyway. You guys ready yeah. to switch, switch some gears? Hmm. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're going to go and uh, take off the re- record, flip it, and put drop the needle on side B. All right. I, uh, Brandon. Yeah. You had some uh, homework for us, didn't you? I did, yeah. Um, you know, uh, man, where to begin with this one, huh? <laughs> um, so I always knew that when we started the podcast, I was hoping at some point I would get to do this as a choice album. Um, and I don't know. I just kind of felt like this was the, the right time to finally do this. And, and, uh, you know, all the stars aligned. I was able to find a, uh, copy of it for everybody to listen to because it's not readily available on all the streaming sites. And, um, yeah. So anyway, um, the album that I selected is actually, uh, well, the album is, uh, Conan the Barbarian original motion picture soundtrack from 1982 and the music was composed by Basil Polidorus. Um, it is instrumental. So there's sort of a reason why side A was classical music. I wanted to make it all instrumental music for this episode. And, um, yeah. So where do I begin with this, man? So as everybody knows, I am a big fan of uh, film music, scores to movies. Um, I've talked about it uh, repeatedly on this show. Um, one of my first albums that I picked or out, one of my first my, my first film score, one of the first I ever bought was on CD and it was Jurassic Park by John Williams. Um, I probably have already said that before. And uh, I have talked about some of my favorite composers, um, Jerry Goldsmith being my favorite composer. But my favorite album, my favorite film score of all time is hands down this one, Conan the Barbarian. Um, and, and Basil Polidorus is one of my favorite composers. But there's something about this album that every time I listen to it, I just I, I, I just like I get I get emotional. I get happy i get sad i get gleeful i get you know adventurous it's just this is such a big score and um i it's just it's it's been my favorite for a very long time and i'll tell you the the first time that i really recognized it now of course i grew up watching the movie but the first time i really recognized the score was i was a freshman in college and um i definitely didn't have a lot of money but I remember going to Hastings next to the campus and they had a cassette and it was on sale and it was Conan the Bar- Conan the Barbarian soundtrack. And uh, I went ahead and bought it. And um, it turns out that I had this was an import cassette. Uh, and it's very different from a lot of the other ones that have ever come out because the import cassette actually has the uh, the dialogue in the prologue at the very beginning. 
And I've just been in love with this soundtrack ever since. And I play played it repeatedly, that cassette, played it on my, my travels back home. I put that cassette on when I was writing my screenplays in college. I put that cassette on when I was writing my essays in college. I have many different versions of this soundtrack, and I never get tired of it. I listened to it right before we met to record this episode, and I felt the same way that I did the first time I listened to it. Um, I just want to talk just briefly about Basil Polidorus. He was born in 1945. He graduated from USC in 1967. Uh, a few other graduates in his class was John Milius, who actually is the film director of Conan the Barbarian. And George Lucas was also a graduate that year as well. John Milius, the screenwriter, film director, used to talk about how Basil Poidoris was the best one of them all. And he was a guy who was could write, could direct, could do his own music, could do everything. But after he graduated, Basil decided he didn't want to write or direct. And he loved music and he wanted to focus on music. And so in the 70s, beginning of the 70s, he was primarily just writing music for documentaries and shorts. And John Milius kept trying to get him to try to get the studios to let him be the composer to the movies that John Milius was directing. He tried to get Basil uh, a job as the, the composer for the music for Lion and the Winter. And then he finally was able to get Basil to do the score to uh, his movie in 1978 called Big Wednesday. It's a surfing movie. That score is incredible, too. I friggin love that score. Um, and then he had to fight for Basil again for Conan the Barbarian. And he was able to accomplish that. And Basil had months to start working on the score before filming began, began which is very uncommon. Um, and there's just, I don't know, there's something about the score I just think is magical. I mean, it's, it's, it's epic. There's thematic design in this music. It's, it's got strings. It's got horns. It's got bass. It's got the brass. It's got chanting. It's got, I mean, it's, it's got, it's got everything, man. And, and it's like, I listen to the music and I think of the movie and I think of the scenes, but I think about just the music itself too. Like I, this thing lives and breathes on its own without the movie for me anyway. And, and I don't know, man. It's, it is my favorite score of all time. I friggin' love this score. Um, Basil Podoris went on to do. Most, I mean, pretty much most of John Milius' movies, but then he also started working with Paul Verhoeven and started doing the music for Robocop and Starship Troopers. And he won an Emmy for Lonesome Dove. Um, he is one of my favorite composers of all time. This is my favorite score of all time. I will never change my opinion about it. I just, I adore this score and I love it every time I listen to it. Um, I just, there's this emotional connection that I have to it. Um, and, and you might think it's silly because it's Conan the Barbarian, but dude, this music, this music is the best part of that movie. In my opinion, the movie is good. I enjoy the movie, but the music is on another level. Um, so anyway, um, it's just such a varied score. I, I love it. I don't know what else I can say. I'm talking a lot. It, it just, the score means a lot to me. Um, and you can, you can dog it all you want. It will not change my opinion about this whatsoever. 
because I know I'm right. This is one of the best scores ever. Um, but again, it's a personal connection to it too. And I will tell you, man, my favorites, my favorite, it's so hard because I love it all dearly. But the one that I like, I love these days more than any of the others. And it's hard, man, is, is the track called The Orgy. The Orgy is such an incredible piece of music, and it's it's very different from the rest of the movie. Um, I, I, that would probably be my favorite right now, but there were some other ones I used to listen to constantly. And uh, but this, the Orgy is the one that I really I really enjoy these days the most. Um, just brings a smile to my face. I'm gonna stop talking because we have to wrap it up at some point. Um, we could do a whole class maybe later. But um, what did you guys think? Well, I could jump in, in in case Taj wants to finish this off or Dietrich. You guys might have more to say than me. <laughs> okay. And I, I have something to say. I mean, I have a few things, but I, I definitely remember this movie. And I think that it's probably one of the Arnold Schwarzenegger's like better kind of like pe- time period time pieces, I guess. I think he he did really well. Like the acting was really really done well in the movie. Lots of different, um, like Jason and the Argonauts, or you know something like that, where they run into these creatures. And I I was kind of gonna pick the orgy for a song, but because um, I like I liked how it sounds, but I also like the prologue too. I like the drums in the prologue, like that that comes in really nice. Um, yeah, no, I don't know. It's just epic. This whole. <laughs> <laughs> so the whole album is like epic, like Brandon saying, he's like, I don't know. I don't know if it's like, it's not like my favorite cause I haven't listened to a lot. I don't have a connection to the movie background like Brandon does, but um, I definitely have a connection with seeing the movie and liking it. And just going through like this, this whole soundtrack was weird because it, it did definitely like just make me think of the, every scene in the movie. I was like, shit, I do remember the movie. So the prologue is when his mom dies, right? She she gets like killed at the beginning. Is it, am I wrong about that? That that's that. Well, no, it's it, Riders of Steel is when when they attack the riddle of, riddle or riddle of steel. Rid, yeah, sorry, I said it again. Riders yeah. of Doom, right? Okay. Right, right. It was one of the one of the two that I was thinking was when that happened, but man, that was fucked up. I yeah, mean, sorry. Shit. Yeah, Riddle still Riders yeah. of Doom. That's what I meant to say. Conan, he definitely kicks fucking ass after you see that. You're like, okay, now I want everybody in the audience to get pissed. We're gonna have this epic music playing in the background, and this uh, mom's gonna get offed, and then he's gonna have you know this like furious vengeance throughout the whole movie he's got quests i mean the music definitely goes along with the quests the orgies weird i think it's like it goes in this big room and it's like these like weird uh is it creatures or something or like sirens or something like that no it's 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 people but there's a big snake inside. Yeah, there's a big snake yes he fucking kills it doesn't he i don't know am i, am I uh spoiling the movie that's like 30 something years old 40 years old i don't know how old this is how old is this movie it's came out in 1982 it's 40 oh. years yeah yeah very cool man um now i feel older 
I was pretty little when it came out though, so that's fine. But uh, yeah, that's 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 very cool. I like it, and yeah. So I'll pick because of the scene. It was so traumatic for me, <laughs> and it's just such an epic song. And you hear like this, like lots of uh, you know, not there's no words, but there there's people in the background with whatever they're doing. <laughs> the uh, epic episodic uh, music. Riddle of Steel. That's my pick. There you go. So yeah, that I'll go. That's okay. Um, so this is on that 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 list of kick-ass movies and music. It, it has to be. There's no way it cannot be. Um, you brought up an interesting point, Brandon. You were talking. You said that uh, that the composer had months in order to try and put everything together um, versus, you know, trying to do it on the fly or trying to have like a, a tight turnaround schedule. And I think it shows not only in the movie, but it brings presence to the movie where the movie would have been like. Um, there, there are a lot of silent parts in the movie where there's not a lot of talking going on. There's like travel scenes and things of that nature, but the music plays into it. The music is what fills in that, that void of what you would need to listen to in order to hear somebody talking the scene. You don't need to hear anybody talking the scene. You can listen to the music and it describes you exactly what's going on. Even just going back and listening to it and going through the songs, like literally each part that the song was meant to be in comes up in my mind when I'm thinking of the movie. And I'm thinking of this particular points of interest towards the movie. And I'm like, I, I, I agree 100%. You could listen to this without even seeing the movie and still feel like the, the hurt behind it, still feel the, the enragement that comes from certain songs and certain, certain factors that come into those songs. And for me, just because I was big on Chrome, I'm literally saying the Amber Chrome. Because that that is that that's how you were introduced to Conan. That's you know that's and it goes throughout the movie in, in certain parts, but, but for the most part, uh, all I can think of whenever I hear Conan is I'm thinking that's theme music. That dun 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 dun. dun, dun. It's literally ringing in my head as I'm going through these tracks, and and it's like each each of them holds a, a specific part in my mind where I'm like, damn. And I was I was reading comics as I was coming up as a kid. So me correlating that to the actual movie when it shows, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger playing a part. And I was I was weary of that because I only known him for like like power building and, and, and like muscle things. I never knew him for like actually being an actor, so to speak. And that kind of he is that role. Nobody else can really play Conan the way he played that role. Uh, in that situation, like they try to re remake it a couple of times, they try to bring in a couple of different people in order to do it. They can't do it. They can't be done. So in my mind, this soundtrack, you know, especially over any other adaptation, excuse me, adaptations of what they're trying to do, this is the soundtrack. How you whoop somebody's ass, you take their names, so you come back and whoop their ass again, and it's all throughout. Every single track has its own moment in time. Every single track has its own movement. Um. Yeah, Anvil Chrome will be my favorite, just off my choice track. But then if I go back to and listen to, um, like, uh, uh, what was it? The Funeral Pyre. Like that, that sticks out to me because that takes me back to that moment in the movie. And it's like, no, you can't be dead. No. <laughs> it's like that to me, that was like, 
Oh, like, yeah, it's all the way there. And everything, all the feelings, all the emotions, all of it came back. And I completely understand why this is your favorite. And if anybody else said otherwise, you know, they could eat a dick. That's all I'm saying. So we're, we're good. Sorry. Sorry, not sorry. All right. Lots of dick eating back there in the uh, Conan days, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. uh, all right. So, so I'm going to go and jump in. Uh, so just to let everybody know, I know Brandon, you originally gave us a link to, uh, to, uh, YouTube's, uh, to listen to it. it. I found the whole album on Hoopla. Um, if anybody has that, most public libraries you can get Hoopla. Uh, and yeah, so, I'm familiar with it. Yeah, that's a good yeah, reference. Okay. Yes. So it, that, that's where I, I found that the, uh, the soundtrack. Um, all right. I can't remember if I've seen the movie or not. I did go and watch some clips of the movie uh, to try and jog my memory. I probably haven't seen it. Anyways, uh, I'm glad you said it because I was going to say it. This soundtrack is too good for the movie. <laughs> I'm just saying that. Like, this soundtrack, like it, like the movie is dated up. That That's all I'm saying. This soundtrack, because... <laughs> okay. The, the, the thing with most with most classical music, like even going back to like some of the art, other artists who we went to, is like they're supposed to invoke imagery. Like you're supposed to, it's supposed to open up your imagination. And this soundtrack does it. Like, and, and maybe it helps. I I haven't seen the movie or can't remember the movie, but like this soundtrack, it's just like it. Yeah, it kicks ass. Like there, it it could be Conan, it could be a, a space adventure, it could be anything. I mean, especially after. After, um, you know, the Phantom Menace, when you have the chanting with the Jedi fight, like you can have chanting in anything like that proved that you can have chanting in, in a sci fi movie. And this movie, like each track on its own, like it, it, and that's that's what makes it be like fancy or sci fi. Like it can it can be it, it could even be a Western at some points on certain tracks. You're like the the tracks could could be put in anything. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's an amazing soundtrack, uh, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I truly appreciate it and, and I liked it. Um, uh, I was going to do Riddle Steel, but that got taken. <laughs> but uh, the one that I picked, because the backup I had was The Search. I know it's a slower piece, but it's also it's one of those that was very much invigorative, even better than Tchaikovsky's. Like that one's very much a, like a quest, Lord of the Rings. Like we're, we're going, we're going through this field, now we gotta climb this mountain, now we gotta cross the stream. Like that is just you're like constantly searching, and and you know the title says it, but the song does it, you know. And so uh, yeah, it was it was amazing amazing soundtrack for sure and so yeah uh i, I enjoyed it a lot so cool you know i'm I gonna say this to you Taj. until you see <laughs> james earl jones turning into a snake you ain't seen shit so. <laughs> oh that's right it's james earl jones he turns into it, a big giant snake and fights Conan. yeah it, no it, i i i saw some clips that's fucked I, up <laughs> i saw some clips of james earl jones and you're like man james earl jones is like the best part like james earl jones is acting circles around <laughs> arnold like james earl jones like 
just charismatic. He's like, but he's, he's supposed to because he's a leader <laughs> and he makes people die in front of him and then sacrifice and the whole nine. Like, when, when you've got that kind of majestic feel to yourself, you got to be charismatic. you got to be somebody that everybody loves to hate, but they still love him while they're cool. Like, it's kind of freaky in that movie, though. Doesn't he, like, get snake eyes all of a sudden and then he's wearing, like, a robe and shit? No. Completely, you gotta watch that part. Fuck. You gotta watch. Well, no, I, I saw that the part. Fucking cool. I, don't know. I, I saw the part where he's like in the middle of the pit, and like he's telling him, "You gotta thank me for all this stuff." And then he's like, "See that chick up there?" He's like, "Hey, why don't you come down here?" And she just walks off the cliff and dies. And he's like, "See, that <laughs> Plus, is power." Yeah. <laughs> <you're> like, Shit. <laughs> yeah. Like this dude just made somebody walk off a cliff. And he's like, "Look what I did." <laughs> like, that power, bro. That's that's the thing. Yeah, you gotta go back and watch that, bro. You gotta watch it to put it all in context. But even still, like this track, the soundtrack, this 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 movie score soundtrack is is more than a movie. Let's just put it like that. We know it's more than being a movie. We know the movie is 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 limited for what it is. But I will say this: when it comes to the movie as a comparison to the soundtrack. You could have put it with other movies, but it might not have had the same effect on the movie as it did for this. And the reason I'm saying is that is because you put this to Star Wars, it's going to fit. It's going to work. It's, right. it's, you put this to you know Star Trek, it's going to fit. It's going to work. But the soundtrack made this Conan movie so much better. Right, for sure. <laughs> the movie's that much better. And it's what? like, you got to have the two together because that's a left-right hook combination it works yeah, yeah ex- especially that the uh it was the, the the wheel of pain like that that track like makes you feel the pain but then when you watch the the, the footage with it like that's hand in hand like there are yeah. some custom custom made pieces that like like yeah th- there's no way you can separate the two but yeah that's still but yeah <laughs> And I forgot old girl's name. I'm just gonna put it out there. Conan had a badass chick, bro. <laughs> she was she was badass. She was down to earth. She was she had her dude back. A cover. She brought his ass back from the dead. Like that's how you know you a badass motherfucker right there. So like, come on, Conan, you son of a bitch. That kind of chick. You know what I'm saying? And they like that will the sword just as good as you do, and and willing to throw it down at the same time. So yeah. Sure. Shout out to her. Whatever the actress's name is, I forgot her name. I apologize, but she was bad as hell. Oh uh, yeah, he's probably that. That was his motivation to go through these quests. He's following, he following the ass the whole time. He's like, all right, I'm gonna get some after this quest. <laughs> she teases well, him with a carrot time. every time. Yeah, we get these rubies. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting that ass and tanking it. <laughs> get some rubies, kill a snake man, and then get some ass. There you go. That's yeah. coming in in a nutshell. That's how you make a hero. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> All right. Well, guys. Well, I appreciate you listening. And by Crom, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> um, yeah. And there are many different, many different versions. Whatever you find is fantastic. So whether you go with the original, okay. you go with the extended, or you go with the deluxe editions. You're you're gonna be very pleased with uh, what you listen to. So, um, great. Well, thank you guys for going down that journey. And um, before we we sign off, um, Diedrich, you have some homework for us, don't you? Yes, I do. We're gonna take a trip. We're gonna go back, way back, back in time, 
to the year of 1987, where we're going to listen to an R&B album by the name of, artist name is Keith Sweat, the album's name is Make It Last Forever. And there's a specific point why we're bringing this up, and it's going to get kind of fun, so y'all need to tune in a lot. So, okay. All right. Well, I look forward to listening to some Keith Sweat again. It's been a long time. <laughs> um, cool. Well, um, it's going to get sweaty up in here. Yeah. yeah, that'll be next week's episode. Um, before we go, Taj, you have a few words. Yes, I do. Um, we have been Choice Tracks. You can email us at tracetracks at gmail.com. We end with a Z, or you can find this on our website of tracetracks.com. Uh, Please subscribe and listen to all past and future episodes. Let's go ahead and sign out. I've been Taj. I'm Brandon the Barbarian. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm getting sweaty now. Uh, I'm Damon. Yeah, Damon the Destroyer. I'm, yeah. Right, Damon the Destroyer. <laughs> and I'm Amadeus. 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 Oh, oh, oh Amadeus. Yeah, I'm Dietrich, and uh, we're gonna pick up the needle, but y'all keep spinning those choice tracks. By Crom. By Crom. By Crom.